good to be here this morning. Merry Christmas to you. I trust many of you were here last week when we had the Christmas uh, children's concert. Wasn't that fantastic? Unbelievable. <laughs> Pastor Karina and her team did such an excellent job, and uh, I should have noted it last week after the service uh, uh, how uh, much work goes into that. You know, my kids are a little bit involved, so I have a little sense of uh, the Thursday nights uh, in this Christmas season that uh, they sacrifice to be here as leaders and as a team, and um, not just Pastor Cream, but all her team, and then Saturday mornings. Uh, uh, here to uh, put on such a powerful, not just presentation, but ministry. Wouldn't you agree? Wasn't it a wonderful ministry of Christ uh, here? And, uh, you know, if you see Pastor Crean, I would encourage you or her team and those volunteers that work so hard, if you haven't already, to just say a word of encouragement to them and thank them for their ministry uh, amongst us. It is Christmas, and in our house, things are getting pretty exciting. Uh, it's funny to uh, see Christmas through the eyes of uh, the, the uh, different children. Uh, the one that is most fun right now is uh, my three-year-old Jethro. He, he's just taking it all in, eh? And, uh, and he latches on to certain things. We went and got a Christmas tree, uh, I think last weekend, and we cut it down. We, we went in, uh, into the bush, cut down a Christmas tree, and it dawned on him that this tree is going to die. And uh, so every day he comes out, he looks at the tree and says, dying, Dad, it's dying. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> Takes a little of the wind out of the sail. It's a beautiful tree. And uh, he constantly reminds us that, yes, the tree is dying. He recently had a birthday, got all kinds of presents. That was pretty exciting for him. Uh, he was pretty sure he, he has another birthday coming around soon. So to alleviate some of this, you know, birthday emphasis that he has, we told him that it's Jesus' birthday uh, coming soon. And guess what? You get presents on Jesus' birthday. Well, that's pretty exciting for him. And so now the new emphasis is Jesus' birthday. And when do I get my presents? Time is not so clear for him. And so trying to explain to him that it's three weeks, 21 sleeps. I mean, just goes right over his head. Uh, every day, is it, is it Christmas? Is it Jesus' birthday? No, not quite. And so we went shopping. <laughs> this is quite the adventure. Went shopping for mom uh, on uh, just this last week. Trying to explain to him a couple things. We do name exchange with the kids, and so uh, each of them are buying something. He's buying for Phil. And uh, not so clear for him, he thinks he's buying for himself. And so, boy, was he disappointed when we said, go hide it, because uh, he was sure he's going to get to go home and use this. And, uh, and then we went shopping for mom as well, and uh, buying for mom, he was sure he was supposed to bring it to mom, and so we kept telling him, go hide it under the bed so she doesn't know where it is. This is Christmas in our house. You know, as we think about Christmas, um, there's so many neat and wonderful things, and uh, we, we love to rejoice that God would spare us from our sin, that he would redeem us uh, from our brokenness, that God didn't leave us alone, but he, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And we are mindful of this reality, and, and it's heightened during Christmas. And, and we consider that Jesus was born in a manger, in a small community, that he fulfilled the prophecies of old, and that he came and died in our place. 
You know, this week as I was pondering that and uh, what we're going to dive into today uh, in our journey through the book of Acts, there's, there's something that um, it just stirs me a little bit to, to not just realize that when Jesus came and died in that manger that, that it was a wonderful, and, and sometimes we've, we've uh, you know, purified, we cleansed it, and we, we, we don't really understand that when he came and he, he was born in that manger, the world would never be the same. And more than that, the opposition towards that baby, that Jesus, that man who died on the cross would rise up. We're going to study, uh, continue our study this morning in the book of Acts. We're going to do a little bit more, and we're going to see this even more. And then we're going to take a break for the next couple of weeks and uh, dive into uh, some narratives from the Christmas uh, story and also uh, a narrative into the new year uh, um, on uh, New Year's Eve. But for now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Let's look at these verses here together and realize that the things that are happening here are the effect or from the effect of what happened in that manger. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to read God's word and then we'll pray. But the high priest, he rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them into the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord, uh, Lord opened the door, prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the, pris- uh, they sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked. The guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Then the captain of the officer went and brought them, but but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. We must obey God rather than them, they answered. The God of our father raised Jesus, whom you killed, hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now when they heard this, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel 
a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood and gave order to put the men outside for just a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care, of the, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, uh, but before these days, Theodos rose, claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all, his follow, all who followed him dispersed and came to nothing. After him was Judas the Galilean. He rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or their undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to oppose or overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. As we approach Christmas, we are keenly aware and reminded of the depth of your love towards each one of us. Father, that you would come, sorry, that you would send your Son to come and to dwell among us. The one who holds all creation together would be a baby held by a mother that he would in many ways submit to his creation that we would be saved. But more than that, you sent him that the world would know how much you love. Father, may the wonder of who you are and what you've done capture our imagination this morning. And more than that, transform us into the likeness of Christ. Lord, would you redeem the time we pray for the sake and the name and the glory of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. As you will remember as we approach this text, much has happened. Jesus Christ has risen. He's commissioned his disciples to go and proclaim the gospel to all people. He's given the gift of the Spirit and the Spirit has filled the people and, and they've been faithful to the cause of Christ in declaring the good news of the gospel. Uh, the church is growing. Unity is amongst the people. Signs and wonders are everywhere, as Pastor Art shared uh, a couple weeks ago. These signs and wonders and people being added to the number. And yet in the midst of this, jealousy arises. The chief priests and the leaders of the temple are despising this movement. They, they can't stand it. They can't stand it. And so Luke reminds us of the opposition to the gospel. As you may be aware, there are three oppositions to the gospel that the devil uses to stifle the church. Uh, the first opposition to uh, uh, the church is that of violence. And we saw it earlier. Or the threat of violence. 
Uh, See, when Peter and John walked into the temple and they saw a man who was lame rise up and be healed, uh, this great miracle, this great wonder was stopped, stifled, or attempted to be stopped and stifled by the chief priests. And they said, preach no longer in the name of Christ or suffer the consequences. Uh, the second thing that the enemy uses is uh, uh, to, to uh, work within the body of Christ. And, and so we saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. Here we see not just a threat of violence, but today we're going to see the act of violence against the church. And, and when we return to uh, the theme of acts, we're going to see that the third attack that the enemy uses is that of distraction. And we'll dive into that then. Here notice this idea that the high priest, they, they hear of all these healings. The shadow of Peter is, is, is causing the, the, the healings to happen. People are so enthusiastic, as we learned from Pastor Art. And instead of rejoicing in what God is doing, these high priests rise up in jealousy against the church, against the believers. Uh, They are so furious, so angry, that they arrest not just Peter and John, but notice all the apostles, and they put them in a public prison. Uh, They gather the leadership, all those who who are followers of Christ, all those who walked with Christ, they gather the apostles and they put them in a public prison to stifle the church, to stop the movement, to stop the message. Now, now it's interesting to me that God responds with an angelic being. In verse 19, it says that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. (laughs) God responds to to this uh, uh, opposition by sending an angel. I wonder what that would have been like. I wonder what the disciples or the apostles sought when the angels entered in. We, We don't know much as far as the angelic appearance. We just know it was an angelic appearance. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us the fullness of what happened. We We don't know if if the angel, you know, awakes them or how he approaches it. We we don't even know how they get by the guards or how they they get out of the jail. We just know that an angel, an angel is the one who, who opens the doors and brings them past the guards and out to the temple. And then he recommissions them with the message. He says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. He redirects them. He gives them clarity as to what they're supposed to do. Preach the gospel. That's what he says. He says he didn't free them for the sake of their own well-being. He didn't free them to flee. He says, no, 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 no. You stay put in the temple and preach the gospel. Share the good news of the life that Christ has come to offer. Uh, the mandate of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is imperative. We, we need to make it our focus. How are you doing? Do, do you share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you mindful of the people around you that are perishing? 
Listen, Jesus Christ is keenly aware of who they are, and he longs for them to come into a right relationship with them. He longs that they would come to a place of repentance. Go and stand in the temple. Don't run for your freedom, he says to the apostles. No, you stand in the court and preach. When they heard this, they entered the temple, and at daybreak they began to teach. They obey the directive of the angel that declared to them that they are to preach and to teach. The purpose of them getting out of jail was that they could, they could fulfill the mission that God had set before them to declare the good news. And now in the high priest, they came together, verse 21 says, those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel. And they sent to the prison uh, to have them brought out. Uh, in essence, what's happening here is the senate, these 72 high priests, the, the leaders of the temple have gathered together and they put these apostles on trial because they haven't obeyed their command as recorded in Acts chapter 4. Their command to cease and desist preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. Now, now they're about to ramp up their opposition. And this should be no surprise to you or to me. They wrap it up to oppose the message of the gospel. But the problem is God is at work in the midst of the opposition. God is not threatened by the opposition, nor is he surprised. No, he's continuing his mandate of declaring the good news of the gospel to all people. See, when the officer came, they did not find them in prison. And so they return and they tell the, the uh, Senate that the prison is it's secure. It's locked. The guards are standing at the door where they're supposed to be. But when we opened it, we found no one inside. A perplexing issue for sure. I'm sure the Senate wondered, who did they convince? What guards have been tricked? What guards have participated in releasing the apostles? I'm sure their, their minds started to spin as they tried to figure out what to do. Now in the midst of this, in the midst of this, the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, and they were greatly perplexed, and they were wondering, what would come when someone come running in and told them, look, the men in whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. They hadn't gone far. It doesn't make sense, even from the Senate's perspective. They stayed. They remained. They taught. They refused to be bullied. They refused to allow bullies to change their pattern of life. No, instead, they stood their ground. The captain and the officers, they go to get them. But not by force, notice this. You see, they were afraid of the mass crowd that they would turn on them and stone them. I kind of love this because it surely speaks to the posture of the apostles. See, if... If the guards were aware that the mass crowd would stone them, then so too would the apostles be aware of the reality that they had the support of those who had gathered around to hear the teaching. 
I love that the apostles don't use the the mass in order to accomplish their agenda, to resist arrest. No, instead, they go. They adhere to the leadership of the temple guard and the temple captain and chief, and they go peacefully back to the Senate to stand trial. I love their wisdom and their courage. I love their humility and their strength of character. I love that they knew that the message wasn't just for those in the courtyard, but once again for those who are in the Senate. You see, they get brought back into the Senate before the council, according to verse 27, and the high priest begins to question them. He says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name of Jesus. He can't even pronounce it. Notice that Luke takes note of that. You shouldn't be teaching in this name, he says. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching. And you intend to bring this man, Jesus, and his blood upon us. Let's linger here for just a moment. I love this. Do you know why I love this? I love it because um, this is the third time that the Senate, and in particular the high priest, Caiaphas, is challenged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, You know why I love that? Uh, Caiaphas was the one who led the charge against Jesus. He's the one who despised Jesus. He's the one who who had this kangaroo court court case against Jesus. He's the one who, who ramped up all the masses and said, crucify Jesus. He's that guy. And yet, God continually runs back to him and says, repent. I love that. I love that the sovereignty of God continues to go back to the very one who orchestrated the crucifixion three times and says, repent. Uh, There's many lessons in this for us. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you've never repented to Christ and yet you find yourself here. And as you hear the message, your heart is stirred, your heart is pounding. And there's a resistance. A resistance to the message of Christ to repent, to receive what he has done in your mind. You have justified your sinfulness, your pride, your arrogance, your self-sufficiency. And yet God bids you to repent. There's a message here for you. But even for the believer, there's a message. And the message is simply this. Never give up. Never give up. You may have shared with a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend. You may have pointed them to Christ time and time again. 
And you may wonder to yourself, how often, how many more times do we need to keep going down this road? How many more times do I need to invite them? How many more times do I need to extend the invitation of Jesus Christ to them when it's too much? Is God in this, you may wonder? Is God participating? Is God involved in in helping these people understand how much he loves them and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? And here we see God by his sovereign hand, by his sovereign hand, We see submission of apostles when they could have fleed to stay in the temple. We see submission of apostles when they they could have riled up the masses and not gone into the Senate. We see submission and a willingness to go and stand before Caiaphas in order to preach once again that Jesus Christ is the answer. That Jesus Christ, the one in whom was crucified on a tree, is risen and he is the answer. Yes, even for you, Caiaphas. Even for you. There's a hope, there's a message to you and to me that we must never give up. And so with sincerity, when we say to you, extend the invitation this Christmas Eve to your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers. You may may be thinking, why, Pastor Scott? I've asked them before and they've said no. Why, Pastor Scott? Because the sovereign God extends an invitation to those whose hearts are hard. Because he loves them and he desires none to perish, but all to come to a place of repentance. This is the season when people are open to the invitation to come. This is the season when people have an opportunity to hear once again the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are key in the process and in the invitation of helping people, we need to submit. Now, does that mean that it'll always go well? Well, no. As we see in the text, that it doesn't always go smoothly. It doesn't always go as planned. And yet, God is pleased. He's pleased. He's pleased when we obey him. He's pleased when we are bold and courageous and live for other people instead of ourselves and the comforts of our own lives. No, he's pleased when we extend invitations to those around us. Look what Peter does. He speaks on behalf of all the apostles. I love Peter. I love him because he's a big mess up. He's the one who denied Christ three times. He's the one who who cowered when a young girl pointed her finger at him and said, you're with him. He said, no, I'm not. And he cursed God. I love Peter. And of all people to stand before the crowd of, uh, uh, of the Senate, Peter's the best. And the reason he's the best is because he denied Christ too. And yet he enjoyed and experienced the forgiveness of Christ through the power of the cross. If there's anyone who could identify with the Senate and Caiaphas, it's Peter. And in his brokenness, in his humility, and through grace and mercy that he's received, he now speaks on behalf of the apostles. And he says, listen, we must obey God rather than men. It's for your benefit, Caiaphas, that we obey God. Because if we start obeying you, you won't know the depth of what Christ has done for you. 
We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging on a tree. And we are witnesses to these things. We've seen them with our own eyes, he says. We've lived this. This isn't some story we've heard. This isn't some myth that we've adopted. No, this is the truth. We are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. Listen, friends, when you're obedient to Christ, make no mistake, it's not always going to be clean. It's not always going to go smoothly. It's not always going to be easy. Listen to what happened. The Senate was enraged at the simple words of Peter. Furious. Not just frustrated. No, they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council, he stops this nonsense. He He has an important voice. You see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees made up the Senate, but primarily it was Sadducees. Now, what does this all mean? These are funny words in our day. A Sadducee was someone who was a religious leader that didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the demonic. They they were rationalists, secularists. In our day, maybe, maybe more from the empirical, scientific mind, excluding anything that isn't measurable, that would be a Sadducee. Pharisees, on the other hand, they were conservative. They believed in the law. And more than that, they believed in the resurrection. Uh, they believed that a Messiah was coming. Now, Gamaliel was a teacher. He was... He was a strong teacher, and Josephus, the historian, speaks highly of him. He was honored by all people, as the text says, and he does something very wise. He's going to have a hard conversation with the council, and instead of embarrassing people, especially leadership, he orders that the men be put outside. This is wise and smart. He says, go outside. We need to speak. And then he begins, men of Israel, you take care about what you're to do with these men. For before these days, there was two guys, Theodos and Judas. Now, both of these guys rose up and they resisted Herod. But it didn't last. For they were of themselves. Both of these guys led rebellions, but they all perished, and those who followed, they scattered. Let's not do the same thing. So in this present case, he says, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Good words, wise words, especially to a council of godly people. But if it's of God, he goes on to say, you will not be able to overthrow them, for you may be even found opposing God. And so they took his advice. Wise counsel, wise advice. A reasonable mind in the midst of high emotions. 
And they called the apostles back in and they beat them. That's, that's an accurate word, but if you look at the text, it's actually that they flogged them with them. Uh, from the top of their back to the bottom of their feet. And for Jews, they believed it was inhumane to do more than 40 lashes. Uh, that was cruel and unusual. And so they probably beat them, flogged them 39 times, 40 less one, unless there's a counting error. All because... They remained faithful and obedient to God who said, preach the gospel. All because they were thrown in jail. And when an angel came and supernaturally set them free, they obeyed and went back to the temple instead of fleeing and taking care of themselves and taught. All because when the chief of the temple came looking for him. They didn't use the mass that was on their side, no, but instead submitted and went. Went to the council. All because they refused to cower to the pressure of Caiaphas, but instead extended to him and to the others in that council the message of hope, peace, joy, and love that Jesus Christ was the answer, yes, even for them. They were beaten and flogged and charged once again not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. I love their response in 41. It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I wonder what that looked like. In my mind's eye, I wonder what that looked like. What did it look like for them to leave rejoicing? And what did that do to the council? Infuriate them all the more? I wonder how it is that they were able to rejoice having just been beaten 40 less one. Except that God is present in the midst of all our circumstances. Matthew says that, lo, I am with you even unto the ends of the earth. Yes, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Uh, They counted it uh, a point of rejoicing that they were able to suffer and that they were worthy of his name. And then they refused to back down. You see, every day in the temple, they went back to the temple and they proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the answer. And from house to house, Door to door, so to speak. They didn't cease to teach and to preach that Jesus Christ is the answer. Friends, we're called by Jesus uh, to serve him. And this Christmas season, we are reminded that the missionary who calls us was that very thing, a missionary. Um, He left the glory of heaven and was born in a manger, born of a woman. Now, he was completely man and completely God. Uh, The perfect sacrifice that we may be saved. But more than that, he died. That we would present a message to all who are lost and perishing. He brought a message that we are to proclaim. 
And when the threat of violence comes or the threat to stifle the message, all that the grace of God would rise up within us in the fullness of the Spirit and give us boldness to declare that Jesus Christ is the answer. Let's stand together. What's your story today? Where are you at? Are you continuing to resist the message of Christ who offers hope to you? There is one way to be saved. And it's to bow your knee and to humble yourself and to receive what Christ has done. That's what Christmas is all about. Don't follow the lead of Caiaphas, the high priest, who resisted and resisted. And more than that, despised Jesus and threatened all who followed him. No, bow the knee and receive him. Where are you today? Friends, maybe you've bowed the knee, but truth be told, you've been living for yourself. The threat of violence, the threat of being set off to the side, the threat of being marginalized has stifled you from sharing the hope of what Christmas is all about. Would you, would you once again renew your commitment to love those who are lost and to invite, invite them to come and to meet Christ, the hope of glory. And so here we come, Lord. We're broken and frail. We come because we can't do it on our own. We need you. We need you. We need you to save us. We need you to redeem us. We need you, Lord. We need you to help us to get our eyes off of ourselves this Christmas season and offer the gift of hope to those around us. Would you give us courage and strength this Christmas, we ask? Would you help us to love those around us more than we love ourselves? Would you help us to extend an invitation and seek to please you and you alone. May it be so, we pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us, we pray. We need you more than ever. We need you. And so come, we pray. Empower your people. Fill us with your spirit. And may we leave this place this morning rejoicing that Jesus Christ the Lord has come more than that that he has dwelt among us. More than that, he has healed the sick and forgiven those who are, 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 are broken and those who have sinned. More than that, that he has died on the cross and he has risen, seated at the right hand of the Father. May we leave rejoicing, knowing how wonderful and great you are. And so we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.